There we go. We're good. Good morning. So I'm a guest speaker this morning, uh, not in the sense of being from somewhere else. I usually sit right about there if you don't recognize me. But a guest speaker certainly in the sense of if it doesn't go very well this morning, there's hope. We're going to be talking about the cross a little bit this morning. The lesson's title is Transformed by the Cross. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, a, lot, a lot of times uh, on Easter Sunday, there are people uh, in our presence that wouldn't necessarily be here otherwise, people from the community or people visiting family. We're glad you're here this morning. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18 would be a good opening right now if you'd like to have your Bible open. For the, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The Apostle Paul wants us to know that the cross has power. And we've sung about that a little bit this morning, and we'll do a little bit more later. The cross has the power to forgive sins, but not just forgive sins. The cross has the power to transform a person's life. And maybe you've experienced a transformation in your life because of the cross. The cross can help us get beyond sinful habits. It can help us reverse negative attitudes maybe that we've had in the past. It can repair strained relationships. And it can lead you to certainly resist dangerous temptations. Today we want to focus on, on that cross. And we're going to do that from the perspective of a few bystanders. Of course, you know this time of year, uh, the story leading up to the cross, uh, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, uh, comes, to, comes to light in, in a, lot of, uh, a lot of venues. We're going to talk about several people who experienced firsthand the events leading up to the cross and the death of Jesus. Their lives were transformed by that cross. And hopefully we're going to see then that our lives can be transformed as well. It's not it's just for those people in that day, but it's for people in our day as well. That transforming power is available for us. So Mark chapter 15 is going to be the first one. We look at a man named Simon who really was a casual observer, but he very quickly became an, uh, an active participant uh, in this process of Jesus uh, going up the hill to be executed. Mark chapter 15, verses 21 and 22. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by, to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Now this man, Simon, was from Cyrene. It was a large city in Libya, a country in North Africa. And at that time, at least, I don't know about today, I assume not today, but at that time it had a large population of Jews. So Simon was a Jew, and that city in, in North Africa was a great distance away from Jerusalem, but he seemed to be in Jerusalem for one reason only, to observe the Passover feast. Can you imagine, uh, as a Jewish person that day, uh, saving up money, uh, making the, the, the great journey to be a part of the Passover feast in Jerusalem. The text doesn't tell us a whole lot about him. It's, not, it's kind of fun sometimes to speculate about, about a person, but it's possible that this was just a one-time thing for him. He might have saved up for years to be able to do that, just for this one opportunity to be in that holy city to observe this particular feast. 
So that, that one particular Friday, though, he gets caught up in a crowd of people. And that crowd of people had gathered there to watch three men winding up, watching them wind through the streets of Jerusalem to go up this hill to be executed. You can imagine what it might have been like to be there. And he gets pulled out of the crowd by one of the Roman, by one of the Roman soldiers, and he is compelled then to carry the cross of Jesus, or a part of it anyway. It might have just been the, uh, the cross member. Uh, but in any, in any case, a lot of folks would say that uh, that weighed up to 100 pounds, with the, what he was uh, forced to drag up that hill. So Simon carried that up the hill of Calvary, and we need to understand that what he experienced that day was certainly a transformational experience in Simon's life. As he's watching this go down, and he's selected to carry this cross member or this portion of this cross, he's no longer an, an observer to the cross. He is a participant in this situation. And the argument could be made then, based on what we just read, that Simon was not just uh, an active participant uh, in the cross of Jesus on that particular Friday, but quite possibly every Friday from that point forward. We know then, as Mark mentioned here, uh, Simon, uh, as Mark mentions, him, uh, he says that he's the father of Alexander and Rufus, back there in Mark 15, verse 21. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by, to bear his cross. So the Gospel of Mark is written primarily to the Roman, to the church in Rome, to the Roman, the Roman world, so, so to speak, people who are coming from a Roman, uh, a Roman background, but specifically to the church in Rome. And at that time, as Paul, or as Mark is writing this, Alexander and Rufus were well-known members of the church in Rome. I find that kind of interesting. Romans chapter 16 and verse 13, it says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. One commentator made this comment about the experience that this man Simon was ha uh, had on this day. He said, It seems likely that this humiliating experience resulted in Simon's conversion, as well as the conversion of his, as his entire family. Simon came to Jerusalem, this continues the quote, Simon came to Jerusalem that day to sacrifice his Passover lamb. Instead, he met the Lamb of God who was sacrificed for him. Simon came to Jerusalem that day to sacrifice his Passover lamb. Instead, he met the Lamb of God who was sacrificed for him. Maybe you know some people who are like Sam, Simon. Maybe you can relate to Simon. Uh, I remember as a young boy being forced at times to go and attend religious events. Uh, we lived just a, a short distance away from a church building, just a block and a half away from our, from our, our family home. And uh, I was dragged, in essence, from home to be a participant in that. Uh, but sometimes people are involuntarily forced to become active participants. That may also apply to some who are here this morning. Say, come on, it's Easter Sunday. We would like you to go to worship service with us, and then we have some plans for the afternoon. We're going to go eat or whatever it might be. So there may be some of us here this morning that are not here by choice. And it could be that at some point in your life that you came to a worship service or a similar event that it wasn't by choice. 
Uh, Tony Evans is a pretty well-known uh, uh, speaker about uh, religious things, Christ uh, Christianity and so on. He's a believer, he's an author, he's a speaker, and he tells a story, one that you may have heard or experienced, that, his, that he was drugged, or he was drugged as a, as a little boy. He was drugged to this service and drugged to that one. Maybe you can relate to that, and maybe someone uh, essentially dragged you here this morning. Maybe your spouse begged you to come. Say, maybe you're not normally here, but your spouse said, hey, let's do this today. Or maybe you're visiting family that said, we're all going to church, we're going to eat afterward. Or maybe you're dating someone, and they said, hey, you know, it's a good day to go and be a part of a religious service. I'd like you to come with me. And maybe in that situation, you'd like to continue dating that person, and so you decided that you'd go ahead and come this morning. So it could be that you're like Simon, you're compelled to uh, participate, but it could also be very good that you were called on or pressured to be here today. Maybe the best thing that ever happens to you, you might be like Simon, who took up that cross on, on that Friday because he was forced to, but then he volunteers seemingly for the rest of his life and decides never to put the cross down again. If you think about that figuratively, maybe today will be the day the cross transform you from that casual observer to an active participant. There's a, another casual observer, another bystander that we want to focus on a little bit this morning. Uh, we don't know his name. I don't know that any commentator or Josephus or anybody else was able to provide that information, but he was a Roman centurion. Mark chapter 15 and verse 39, if you'd like to flip over there. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. The cross that day transformed this Roman centurion from a hostile skeptic, seemingly, to a humble believer. This was one of the soldiers that carried out those three executions that day and seemingly the commander over those who were carrying this out. The Gospels tell us that uh, about the treatment that Jesus received before uh, being nailed to that cross. Uh, there generally would have been a, uh, a cat of nine tails, a whip with nine pieces of leather on it that had uh, glass or bone or some sharp object at the end of each one of those pieces of leather, and they flogged Jesus maybe even up to 39 times that day. They, they struck him with their fists, they spat on him, they mocked him, and here's the centurion that we're talking about right now who didn't, have, didn't, didn't make any attempt, evidently, to prevent any of that. He was allowing this convicted man, the man convicted by the government, falsely, if you will, to serve as an example to anybody who would stand up against the Roman government. This was pretty common in that day. So the centurion watches Jesus as he endures this vicious treatment, but he was evidently convicted and convinced and changed by what it was that he experienced that day. It was probably common for this, uh, for this executioner, if you will, to hear some pretty nasty language coming down from those crosses as they're being treated in this, in this way, as they're hanging, just waiting for their lives to pass from them. But it was probably very unusual for them then to hear one of the men on the cross ask for the forgiveness of those executioners. That had to make a big impact on this, on this gentleman who was watching this all go down. And what about the sky turning black 
right in the middle of the day, that probably caught his attention as well. And as the ground began to shake, began to shake, Matthew 27, verse 54, says, So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. The way Jesus suffered and died, the three hours of darkness in the middle of the day, the earthquaking had to make a big impression on this Roman soldier. And we see that he says, truly, this was the Son of God. So I don't know how hostile he would have been toward Jesus before this, but he didn't show him a lot of, a lot of respect before he died. And he becomes a humble believer. Now, he wasn't the only one to go from being a skeptic to being a believer. We had Saul of Tarsus, certainly. It wasn't on the, at, the, at the time of this particular event. But Saul was an antagonist and a skeptic. He was skeptical of Christ and of Christi Christianity, and we know that he was having people arrested, rounded up, and killed because of their faith, and that he believed he, that he was serving God by doing this. But Saul was confronted by the Lord and changed from an enemy of Christ to an apostle of Christ. The skeptic who became a believer would would later write this in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. No longer a skeptic, now he is a believer. You know, there have been quite a few people over the, over the course of time that have, have changed their minds. Uh, if you think about the writings of C.S. Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis was a prolific author and professor, but he was also once an atheist. But he wrote some of the best literature that's available dealing with topics related to Jesus and Christianity. What about Josh McDowell, who wrote More Than a Carpenter and Evidence That Demands a Verdict? Josh McDowell was also one of those who was formerly a skeptic of Christianity. You probably know of a lot of others who have gone from one side of the fence to the other side of the fence. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18 talks about reasoning, doesn't it? Come let us reason together. There's some evidence that needs to be examined, and when you look at that evidence, you're going to come to a conclusion if you have a good and honest heart. You're going to come to a conclusion one way or another, I guess, whether your, your heart is good and honest or not. In the 1940s, there was a British author named Frank Morrison. He wanted to, he was a lawyer, and he wanted to prove once and for all that the resurrection of Jesus was a hoax. It was nothing more than a fable and a fantasy. So he's a lawyer, and he thought, I'm pretty good at looking at evidence and coming to a verdict. And that he did, but it didn't turn out as he thought when he researched. And he ended up writing a book. He was trying to disprove the resurrection, but the, the, the first chapter of his book is titled, The Book That Refused to Be Written. It describes in it how he became convinced of the bodily re resurrection of Jesus. And the final product, what he wrote, was who moved the stone? Maybe there were some things that were unclear about about the, the resurrection of Jesus. He still had some questions, but the evidence led him to the fact that Jesus was raised. So if you're skeptical about Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection, or just skeptical of God and faith in general, it'd be a good idea to look into the evidence, draw your own conclusion, 
But time and time again, people have done that and come to the same conclusion. You can read the works of Josh McDowell. Evidence that demands a verdict is a good place to start if you're struggling. But from that evidence, you might be transformed from a skeptic to a humble believer through that power of the cross. Now, finally this morning, we want to, there's, there's a pair of, of gentlemen here that we're going to look at as bystanders. That's Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And they're going to go from secret, secret disciples to bold defenders. John chapter 19, verses 38 through 40, if you want to flip over there. John chapter 19, verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. These two gentlemen were members of the Jewish Sanhedrin. It's the highest ruling council of the Jews in the day. It was made up of 70, 70 men who had religious jurisdiction over every Jew in the world at that time. It was the highest court that was recognized by the Jews. And these two men were well respected they were likely very financially well off, had a lot of influence. And both of them were impressed in one way or another with the ministry of Jesus. But they were impressed from a distance. They kept their distance from a relationship directly with Jesus because their peers rejected Jesus. They believed that Jesus' claims were simply blasphemy. And they plotted to take the life of Jesus. So these gentlemen, Joseph and Nicodemus, were going to keep their ties to Jesus secret. You might remember the story in John chapter 3 that Nicodemus came to see Jesus at night. And uh, it's all good and fun to speculate as to why that might have been at night, but probably because he didn't want to be seen. Didn't want to, to risk showing a relationship with Jesus. We're not told for sure. But later in John chapter 7, we see this Jewish council interacting with, uh, with Nicodemus. Uh, John chapter 7, verse 50, Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? At this point, Nicodemus is not ready to defend Jesus. He seems pretty reserved still, and he says, he says Let, let's, let's follow the law and hear him out before we carry out this plot. The rest of them, they're saying, are, are you Gentiles too? John 7, verse 52, they answered him and said to him, are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Nicodemus has an opportunity here to speak out about Jesus, but what does he do? It becomes evident from the next verse, although we don't know exactly what he said, but verse 53, it says, and everyone went to his house. He didn't seemingly do anything. He's, he's, he's straddling the fence about Jesus. We might have some this morning that are still straddling the fence about Jesus. He doesn't have the boldness to, to defend Jesus on the outside. On the inside, he's got a pretty good idea of who Jesus is. On the outside, he's going to leave it, leave it where it is, say nothing. But quite possibly, he sees the courage of Jesus at the cross of Calvary. 
a new boldness that's going to come from these men. We're going to see here in this next verse. In Mark chapter 15, verse 43, Joseph, and, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, listen to this phrase here, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Coming and taking courage. It wasn't a very pleasant task that they had in front of them. They asked for the body of Jesus. These are sophisticated men on the Jewish Sanhedrin, and they're asking for the body of Jesus. They're going to take this bloody, gory body and prepare it for burial. And this is certainly not something that wealthy men would even engage in at all. They'd hire somebody else to do it if they, if they saw that it needed to be done. But they had evidently decided that Jesus was more important than their dignity. They also had to understand that doing this, preparing a body for burial, was going to keep them from observing the Passover. We know under Jewish law that they would be unclean for seven days because they had had contact with a dead person. It meant that they weren't going to be with their families. You think about today maybe as a good family day and imagine making a commitment to Jesus and serving him and showing your faith in him might mean that your plans are going to have to change from what you might normally do. They decided that Jesus was more important than even their families, and it was going to be a costly task. It's going to cost them quite a bit. Joseph provided a tomb that he probably spent a whole lot of money for. Nicodemus had, had brought these 75, 75 pounds or so of spices and aloes. This would be an amount, an amount that would normally be set aside for a dignitary or a king, somebody who uh, of great importance. Joseph and Nicodemus had evidently decided that Jesus was not only more important than family, but also more important than money. And it was a risk for these two. This isn't something that's going to happen at night. They're going to do this in broad daylight. It's going to be very clear what they're doing, coming, coming and asking for the body of Jesus. And their Sanhedrin colleagues are not going to be too pleased about it. We don't read a whole lot of details about the response there, but they decided that Jesus was more important than their peers or their position or their wealth or their families. And we have some similar decisions to make, don't we? They were transformed from secret disciples to bold defenders. The cross is going to do the same for you if you'll let it. In, Acts, in the book of Acts, Peter and John were told they could no longer speak publicly about Jesus. But in verse chapter, Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, it said, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And if you slide down then to verse 18, Acts chapter 4, And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, more than to God you judge. They're saying, we will continue to speak. Note that last line of verse 13. And they realized they had been with Jesus. That's a pretty great thing for people to recognize about us too, isn't it? People noting that we have been with Jesus. They can look at your life and observe the things that you say, observe the things that you do, observe what's important to you, and they can truly note Here's a person who has spent a lot of time 
with Jesus. The closer you get to Jesus, the bolder your statement about Jesus is going to be. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and also for the Greek. So ask yourself this morning, where am I willing to be a bold witness for Jesus Christ? We have an opportunity here in the next couple weeks to, to fill this auditorium with friends and family, co-workers. How anxious are you to speak up, to be a bold defender of Jesus Christ? You might be a bold witness in the classroom as a teacher who decides to speak up for righteousness. If you paid any attention to the news lately, you know about a whole lot of ridiculous things that come up where speaking up would be a good thing. Or it might come as a student where you are called on to reflect on where mankind came from or where the world came from. It might come in a relationship where you speak up for Christian virtues. I don't know about you, but in the last, uh, last 10 years or so, the world has just gotten exponentially worse, I think, than it was when I was a younger person. Uh, the evil has always been there, but it just seems so, so common today. And obviously, uh, God has been shut out of our world in so many ways that people have no idea what God's expectations are for us. So you may have a, even a political com, uh, conversation where you have opportunity to speak up for God's truth. But just like uh, Joseph and Nicodemus, Jesus transforms them from secret disciples to bold defenders as we get closer to that cross. So my question for you today is, how close are you to that cross? If you've been uh, in the church for a number of years or have been uh, exposed to religious uh, teaching, the cross may be a common thing that you don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about. But how has the cross impacted your life? If you look at the people who were bystanders at the cross, you see Simon, who was transformed. Uh, it, seemingly not only his life, but his family's lives. He seems to have been a, uh, a longtime member in the church in Rome. Uh, at least his children were. And you've got the Roman centurion who's transformed into that humble believer. And then you've got Joseph and Nicodemus who became bold defenders. If the Bible were still being written today, I'm glad we have everything that we need. But if the Bible were still being written today, what would it say about you? What would it say about you and your connection to the cross, the transforming power of the cross? It's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. The power of the cross is still available to us today, and it's going to change us from people of the world to children of God. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Can you say that, that I have been crucified to the world? Does the cross of Christ still have transforming power in your life today? It could be that you've been a Christian a long time, that at some point the message of the cross had a big impact on you, but over the course of time, that, uh, that influence has waned a little bit. So are you a skeptic? 
Do you believe and trust that uh, the, the, the historicity of the death, the cross, the resurrection of Jesus? Have you looked at the evidence? And maybe a more important question for us in the Olive Branch congregation here is, have you become a casual observer? Because it's easy, in some cases, to trust the Bible is true, that it's saying uh, factual things, but we can become casual observers. It's a tough question to ask and to answer for yourself, I guess. Are you indifferent about your Christianity right now? It's easy to become that way. It's easy to just coast, to drift. Maybe you show up once a week or and there's really not much else as far as the cross is concerned. But today I want to encourage you to become a bold defender and example of great faith. I want to encourage anybody who hasn't done so yet to accept what God is offering through the cross. You know, his son's sacrifice can forgive your sins, and maybe you have been baptized into Christ already, you don't need to accept that offer, but you need to think about your influence, about, about the, the, the effort that you put forth in serving him. But it could be that some of this is brand new to you. It could be that you're here because somebody asked you to be, or because of the plans that you have later today. It could be that you don't have enough information to act on as to what needs to happen for you to take advantage of the transforming power of the cross. If there's anything that we can do to help you, whether you're a Christian already or whether you're contemplating becoming one, we encourage you to come forward now as we stand and sing together.